Danny. Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a spell, a good spell, uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were, were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day and I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. I feel like I'm part of the Words and Nerds family. You guys are so amazing and lovely and such a family of amazing literary lovers and creators and people who advocate. Oh, thanks so much for your questions engaging with the novel and for everything you're doing. I know the podcast is hugely, hugely loved, so um, you're a gem. I think it's awesome the work that you do you know, we're out there in this pool of, of like how many writers there are in this country and we're all trying to get our book to the surface. Podcasts like this enable us to do that and also to talk about our craft. Danny, you're a gift from heaven. I love that you're such a great supporter and advocate for not only kids' books but adult novels too. I love your interviews across the board. Kudos to you, Danny, for, uh, for getting everyone to relax so much that they open up and tell you such interesting things for the benefit of your listeners. So, well <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Yeah, well That's done. That's so true. Oh my gosh, I just told you all these things that I've never talked about before. I could have edited that bit out. I could do this. And I was just so comfortable that I was like, I said all this stuff. It's a special knack. Who wouldn't want to celebrate this fabulous podcast? We are at the Words at Wagstaff Literary Event and I am very fortunate to have Graham Blundell, actor, author and MC at today's event and we are sitting outside in the sunshine outside Wagstaff Hall. What a beautiful day. Welcome, Graham. Hello. It's, it's lovely out here. Isn't it? The water's very flat today, very calm. People are fishing. The, uh, the big sort of um, statues that have been made by the locals are here, having appropriated so many sort of notions, whether it's Inca or Navajo, I'm not sure, but, uh, or is that a lamppost? I don't well, know. I think art can be whatever you want it to be, it right, can be. It's, uh, It is art. We do, we do do art here. Hardy's Bay around the corner now, of course, is known as Hardy Wood, given the number of actors and writers who now live here. So it has changed a lot this area. Now, MC for today's festival, what do you love about a literary festival? Uh, I well, I, I what I've enjoyed, and I think it's been very good today, is the is the craft elements. I think a lot of people that come are would-be writers or want to know how to write, and not necessarily to be professional writers, but how to write their own memoirs and their own histories. Something which has become very important, I think, to people. Uh, you know, capturing, uh, conquering, and uh, retaining your own stories and sharing them amongst your family. So the the craft aspect is very interesting, I think, and uh, it's been very good today. There's been a lot of interesting craft mm. talked, uh, process talked. There's a tendency, I think, for literary festivals to become a little pompous and a little sanctimonious and a little overly sort of progressively political, I think, um, and that can be rather dull, uh, particularly when you think that it's largely speaking to the converted uh, <laughs> yeah, people who right. just share the same views. But there was none of that today. I was pleased about that. It was quite uh, quite strong and uh, the, same, the, the notion of craft and how you actually construct engineer writing was much talked about and I thought that was very, very interesting. Yeah, it's been a lovely vibe here just in the breaks and everyone's speaking to each other and it's a really lovely community. Now you, mm -hmm. Graham, you're a man of all talents, writer, actor, MC. Why is storytelling important to you? Well, that's a good point. That's what I do for a living. That's mm -hmm. what I've always done for a living since I was a student, really, when I first became an actor um, at Melbourne University back in the uh, the 60s. 
so I've always just told stories without even thinking a great deal about it, quite <laughs> honestly. It's just that someone rings up and says, it's a story to be told in a different form. Oh, well, that form. I'll do, I'll do journalism, or I'll, do, I'll write a book, or I'll tell a story as an actor. In fact, there are a couple of actors in there today, mm-hmm. I was pleased to see, who have moved into the area, and they're very fine storytellers as well. But uh, no, I don't, I don't give it a great deal of thought, really. It's just something I do. I come from a working-class background. My family weren't particularly great storytellers, uh, though my grandfather was a storyteller, Pop Stanger. He was a Gallipoli veteran. He'd actually been to Gallipoli twice, and had been in Europe in the First World War as well. He was gassed at the Somme. He was at Ypres. Uh, he was an extraordinary old fellow, a taciturn old codger, really, who uh, worked, uh, lived and worked around Sorrento and Portsea in Melbourne at the bottom of the bay. And, uh, but he always had stories, and he had stories about the, being in France and in Paris recuperating from wounds, and, uh, he, was, and he was a cray fisherman uh, as well, so he always had tales of the sea and uh, mm-hmm. tales about how knots were made and how you... Uh, he also had a cavalry sabre, and I'll never forget this, he used to chase the crayfish with the, with the sabre. I mean, there was always just great fun and hijinks around Pop Stanger, even though he was a difficult, um, you know, intransigent kind of old man. But uh, uh, the thing that, more than anything else that I loved about him was that he, as part of what he did, he was a, a sort of rouseabout, really, in the area, did odd jobs, and he had been trained as a carpenter. And in the war, he was a sapper. He did ordnance and weapons and God knows what. Carried bombs, I've always assumed. Um, but uh, he worked for the quarantine station, which is at the end of Portsea, down in, in Melbourne and uh, he, they often used to, he used to swap his work for boxes of books at the the quarantine, oh, uh, wow. the travellers, the people who were stationed there I used to this. bring back with him and in these books, in these boxes of books he used to give them to me after he read them, his table in his little bedroom was piled high with books and they were, they were mainly sort of lurid thrillers and uh, <laughs> true detective books and magazines from that period from the 30s and 40s that he kept and uh, but, but amongst them there were Steinbeck's and John Dos Passos oh, wow. and uh, so I used to take these home with me to Reservoir in the, where we lived in this working class suburb which my mother used to refer to as living at the end of the world and uh, I just devoured these books so I think my taste for storytelling emerged from these these books these lurid paperbacks that my <laughs> grandpa Stanger passed on to me But I love um, that, I love when stories are passed down you know, through your family I mean that's really special I think Yes, that was, that was lovely in that first session um, with Vicky Hastrich's stories about uh, her uncle who, Uncle was it, I think, Uncle Ed, who had problems with the war as well and delusions and had all sorts of treatment. And uh, they were, and the whole, her stories of the hole in the, the water somewhere around here, around this bay. It was, it was fascinating. Yeah, there's been a lot of fascinating mm. stories today, and that's what's been so wonderful. Now, I just want to quickly talk. I know we've got about two more questions. That's all right. <laughs> Maybe one. Can you tell me about you know, your book, The Naked Truth? What I loved, uh, The Naked Truth of Life in Parts, on the back cover, it describes you as Australia's first sex symbol. Um, when the film Alvin Purple opened, in 1973 and I just couldn't leave that alone I needed to ask you about that yeah, it's a long time ago I don't really I can only remember that time with the aid of deep sleep therapy I, I think it was a very weird time I was in the kind of films as any actor was in that era that would never be made now I mean so politically incorrect and absolutely hideous in, res- in retrospect when you look back but there was nothing yeah, the, the thing about the, the sort of permissive era, so called, is that uh, it didn't happen. We didn't get the 60s in Australia. We got the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. You know, the 60s was something that we saw on black and white television. You know, whether it was the birth of rock and roll or whether it was uh, the summer of love or, uh, you know, all the extraordinary things that happened in the, that are known to have happened in the 60s that are believed 
to have happened in the 60s. We romanticised we them We did. We just looked at them on TV and read about them in magazines six months later. But in the 70s, it all did change, and suddenly mm. Australians, Australians embraced permissiveness with... Uh, <laughs> in, a, in the most extraordinarily thorough way and I happen to be at the centre of a lot of that and as other actors were, Jack Thompson and others um, and it wasn't really our fault that we are in these <laughs> I mean there was no film industry at that time Yeah. the only films, that I was in a film called 2000 Weeks that the director of Elvin Purple had made in the late 60s an art film as they were called then uh, with lovely sort of organ music over people making love in gravestones and um, <laughs> And uh, the film was an absolute disaster. Um, Philip Adams called it 2,000 Weaknesses. <laughs> and it was only after that that uh, Burstall, Tim Burstall, and Philip Adams himself and others realised that you could make these rather broad comedies with a sort of um, kind of permissive edge, which suited the time, that would actually attract audiences into the, the cinemas. And they did in droves. Alvin and Peterson and uh, uh, the Barry Humphreys movies were huge, huge mm. hits mm. in a way that almost nothing since has, you know, Crocodile Dundee, maybe, but um, but it was a different time, and uh, I'm not ashamed of having been part of it. No, but, and, uh, and you shouldn't, because times change, and if we think they're not going to change, it's a naive perspective, of course, isn't yes. it? So if you look at it in the context, I mean, that's what you do. Last mm. question for you, Graham. Why do you write? Uh, well, it's what I do for a living these <laughs> days. I have for the last uh, well, thirty odd years. I've been writing for the Australian newspaper as a critic and kind of cultural writer for uh, since the '90s. I reviewed crime books for many years I've written about tele I'm the television critic for the Australian now um, uh, that's kind of what I do now there's not much acting around for <laughs> actors of my age it's kind of gone uh, and a lot of the stuff doesn't interest me anyway uh, so I'm now a kind of journeyman writer uh, uh, obsessed with craft as I say <laughs> <laughs> uh, and enjoying it yeah there's nothing wrong with being obsessed or a craft now thank you so much for your time thank and you I know you've got to get back to the festival I've so got to go I and really do the raffle oh lovely <laughs>